Thanks for joining us for the special Mideast Prophecy Edition of In Spirit and Truth with Pastor J.D. Farag of Calvary Chapel, Kaneohe. Pastor J.D. shares the Mideast Prophecy Update from an Arab perspective as he connects the dots of current events geopolitically with last day's prophecies biblically. It is our belief that the next event on God's prophetic clock is the rapture of the Church of Jesus Christ. It is our hope that these Bible prophecy updates will not only ready you and steady you for His return, but that they will also encourage you to share the gospel with others in order that the rapture will not be as a thief in the night. Does it ever feel like you have everything under control until you don't? We constantly try to take care of things ourselves, even though we say we're trusting in God. Pastor J.D. reminds us today that we need to make prayer a priority, and we need to pray for God to work in such a way that the only possible answer is Him. Now, don't forget to stay with us after today's Prophecy Update to learn how you can become a Facebook friend or watch the weekly Prophecy Update on YouTube. Now, here's Pastor J.D. with today's Prophecy Update as shared on August 8, 2021. Today's update is a message of hope and encouragement in this late hour as things are getting very serious, especially with the recent mandates, which I know many of you have received notices concerning, and we saw this coming, right? We're not surprised. Yes, this is the plan of man, and it's an evil plan, but God. God's plan will prevail in the end. And that's what I want to talk about and encourage you with today. Now, for the benefit of those who weren't with us on Thursday night, we were in Isaiah. We're going through the book of Isaiah. Amazing study. And as the Lord would have it, this is only something the Lord would do and could do and did do, by the way. He had us in a place in Scripture that was perfect for exactly what happened last week. In fact, on Thursday. We were in Isaiah chapters 36 and 37, where King Hezekiah, a good king, receives a threatening letter from the Assyrian king, King Sennacherib. And it was really uh, similar to the mandate that you received earlier that day, on Thursday. And I mean, it was so apropos for where we are at today. And I mean, this letter that he received was as serious as it was blasphemous. And here's the thing, the takeaway from the study was not so much the threat, the letter, the email, the notice, the memo, whatever you want to call it. It was Hezekiah's response to the threat. And more importantly, what God did as a result of the threat. So let me kind of give you the backstory just real briefly, and I would encourage you, it's on YouTube, you can watch the study in its entirety, you can also watch it on the website. Fascinating study, and again, just 
we couldn't have planned where we were at in God's Word any better. I mean, certainly I'm not that clever, but God knew that, and the timing was such that we were in this particular place in God's Word on Thursday night, because there were a lot of people here that had just received a very similar letter. Now prior to Hezekiah receiving this letter, the Assyrians have now arrived. They send out their field commander, this second, uh, sec, uh, it's not his name, it's his title. Well anyway, that guy. And, uh, but I'll, I'll uh, think of it, probably like two o'clock this afternoon I'll think of it. But so he sends his field commander with this uh, threat basically saying to Jerusalem, uh, you might as well surrender like everyone else does. Because you know what happens when people don't surrender, we make an example out of them. And that's what was happening, because they had taken all of the cities in their wake, and when they heard that the Assyrians were coming, they immediately surrendered and gave in, and just gave themselves over. They were resettled by the Assyrians, and the Assyrians would capture every city in their path, every people in their path. And now they're at the doorstep outside the city walls there in Jerusalem. So the Shabkeha, that's it. I got it. This is the field commander that is saying to their counterparts from King Hezekiah that go out to meet them, hey, you might as well surrender. What are you going to do? Trust in Egypt to deliver you? What are you going to do? Trust in the Lord your God to deliver you? I mean, wow, this is, what a threat, right? And so they're saying, hey, you might as well just surrender. And they are crippled with fear. And then all of a sudden this Sennacherib has to leave the battlefield because he hears this rumor, which is exactly what God said he was going to do. But he leaves not before writing this letter to King Hezekiah, basically saying to him, don't think you're off the hook. Don't get your hopes up. I'm coming back. And that's what the enemy always does. He always comes back, right? So he writes him a letter. And we have this letter recorded for us in chapter 37, beginning in verse 10. Thus you shall speak to Hezekiah king of Judah, saying, Do not let your God, in whom you trust, deceive you, saying, Jerusalem shall not be given into the hand of the king of Assyria. Look, you have heard what the kings of Assyria have done to all lands by utterly destroying them, and shall you be delivered? Have the gods of the nations delivered those whom my fathers have destroyed, Gozan and Haran and Rezef and the people of Eden who were in Telassar? Where is the king of Hamath, the king of Arpad, and the king of the city of Separphaim, Hena and Eva? Translated, you think your God's going to deliver you out of my hands? In fact, he just got done saying, actually, God sent me to take you and, and take you captive. And don't think for a second God's going to deliver you from my hands. He's never delivered anyone else from our hands. And so now King Hezekiah has this letter, 
this email, this memo, this mandate, whatever you want to call it, (laughs) what's he going to do? Well, in verse 14, beginning of verse 14, chapter 37, we're told what he's going to do. And Hezekiah received the letter from the hand of the messengers and read it. And Hezekiah went up to the house of the Lord and spread it before the Lord. Then Hezekiah prayed to the Lord. Boom. Perfect. Did you hear that? No response. The only response, he takes this letter. Have you ever done that? You ever gotten a letter like that? Yeah, I got one Thursday. That's why I'm here today. So take that thing. If it was sent by way of an email, print it out. Say, Lord, here, present it before the Lord. Pray to the Lord and get before the Lord. Right away. Don't wait. Then this is what Hezekiah prayed to the Lord, verse 15. O Lord of hosts, God of Israel, the one who dwells between the cherubim, you are God. You alone of all the kingdoms of the earth, you have made heaven and earth. Incline your ear, O Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see, and hear all the words of Sennacherib, which he has sent to reproach the living God. Truly, Lord, the kings of Assyria have laid waste all of the nations and their lands, and have cast their gods into the fire, for they were not gods, but the work of men's hands, wood and stone. Therefore they destroyed them. Now therefore, O Lord our God, listen now very carefully to this prayer. Save us from his hand, that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you are the Lord, you alone. This is key, and this is why I want to emphasize this. His prayer was not chiefly for deliverance. He did pray that, nothing wrong with that. Lord, deliver me from this. Lord, save me. Yes, pray that, but save me so that you get the glory. You alone get the glory. Now when you pray that way, God hears, and God rushes in. Jesus said this, if you ask anything, you're going to get it. You ask anything in my name, God will give you anything you ask for, if it brings glory to the Father. Do you see what just happened there? See, when you pray this way and say, Lord, deliver me, help me, save me, but do it in a way so that there's no way that even if I wanted to, I could take any credit for it. You're basically untying God's hands and saying to the Lord, Lord, you're going to get the glory for this. When this is all said and done, when your plan in the end prevails, it will be you alone that gets all the glory. And again, key, so that all the kingdoms of the earth, 
Oh, I think that's a good prayer for us today. All the nations may know that you, O Lord, are God. You alone receive all the glory. No flesh is going to glory in His presence. God will do what God's going to do in such a way that He alone is the one that receives all the glory. Now at the end of the chapter, we have the account of how God's plan prevailed in the face of this insurmountable threat against them. In fact, I would argue for those of you that were with us last week, and we were talking about another good king, King Jehoshaphat, and he had this vast army that was coming against him, and he cries out to the Lord and prays and fasting, (laughs) and says, Lord, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. I would argue that the threat that faced King Hezekiah was infinitely more serious than that of the threat that faced King Jehoshaphat. Because you have to understand that the Assyrians were merciless and evil through and through. I don't want to be too graphic, but maybe it's necessary in order to better understand what God did here, and the threat that he faced, because it's a threat that many face today. The Assyrians, if you did not give in, would take and impale you, put hooks in your face, through your nose, in your mouth, and drag you with chains. They would also impale you on this stake, and they would put it out in front of the city, for all to see. This is what happens when you try to fight against us instead of surrendering and acquiescing to us. Does that sound a little bit familiar? So that's the threat they were facing. And keep in mind too, the Assyrians were undefeated. In fact, they ran out of cities to take. And they had already taken the cities in Judah on the way to Jerusalem. And now all that stood in their way was the city of Jerusalem. That was the last one on their list. And there they are. And Sennacherib's like, hey, Hezekiah, you've seen what we've done. Nobody's been able to stand against us. Everyone that we've captured, their gods did not deliver them. What makes you think your God's going to deliver you? You're deceived. You've believed that your God, putting your trust in your God, is going to save you out of my hands. This King Sennacherib is actually blaspheming God. And that's a big (laughs) boo-boo. This is not against King Hezekiah. This is King Sennacherib against God, reminiscent of the uncircumcised Philistine. It's not Goliath against David. It's Goliath who has blasphemed David's God. And it's kind of interesting when he gets out there onto the battlefield, it's like, here's Goliath thinking, what is this, a joke? You send a little boy out? And here's David like, I think there's been a huge misunderstanding, you uncircumcised Philistine. You think this is between you and me? It's not. It's between you and God. You blasphemed my God. And if you're mocking my God, you will sow what you reap. And by the time this is over, God's plan's going to prevail in the end. I'm going to have your head. 
And that's exactly what he did. And this is exactly what happens here. Because through the prophet Isaiah, not only did Hezekiah pray, he asked for prayer. You know, some of us are too proud to ask for prayer, or to admit that we need prayer or need help. But he asked for prayer, and he went to Isaiah the prophet, and the word of the Lord came through Isaiah the prophet. And basically, it's a very simply put, God has Isaiah tell Hezekiah, I got this. You don't have to worry about anything. I'll take care of this. Yeah, but Lord, did you see, did you see what I just got in the, in the mail, in the email? Yeah, I saw it. Lord, what am I going to do? Nothing. You're not going to do anything. I'm going to do it. Watch me now. Okay. <laughs> and he prophesies through Isaiah to Hezekiah exactly what he's going to do. And he does it. And then we read in verse 36, Isaiah 37, then, so now picture this, you've got the Assyrian army right outside the city walls of Jerusalem. Then the angel of the Lord went out and killed in the camp of the Assyrians 185,000. And when people arose early in the morning, there were the corpses all dead. So Sennacherib, king of Assyria, departed and went away, exactly as God said he would, returned home and remained at Nineveh. Now it came to pass, as he was worshiping in the house of Nisrach, his god, that his sons Adremelech and Sherezer struck him down with the sword, exactly as God said would happen. And they escaped into the land of Ararat. Then Esarhaddon, his son, reigned in his place, exactly as God said it would be in the end. God's plan prevailed. A couple of things I want to point out. Very interesting. I we talked about this and looked at this on Thursday night, but uh, did you catch where it said that when they arose early in the morning, there were all of these dead Assyrians? Now, if I'm not mistaken, they arose in the morning means they slept through the night. Are, are we okay so far? In other words, they slept through the whole thing. And it's kind of like God was saying, um, get a good night's sleep, because in the morning you're going to have 185,000 Assyrians you're going to have to deal with. It's a lot of burials. <laughs> they slept through the whole thing. They wake up early in the morning. And isn't it interesting that we're not told the name of the angel? This is not an archangel, just an angel. You'll forgive my silliness here, but it's kind of like God's kind of like, hey, we have an intern or a trainee we can send down there. That's all he had to do. And he just struck him dead. That's it. That's what God did. What did they do? Prayed. Prayed. I'm going to say this as graciously as I possibly can. But I wonder what would happen if we spent as much time praying as we do protesting. 
I wonder what would happen. Well, I share all of that to say this. We may not know how God will do it, when God will do it, or the way God will do it, but here's what we can know, that God will do it. Let me begin by saying that mandating this so-called vaccine is meant for evil. But God is meaning it for good, for the salvation of many people. This is Genesis 50, 20, one of my favorite verses in all of the Bible. Joseph to his brothers who did unspeakable evil to him, he says to them, but as for you, you meant evil against me, but God, those two words change everything, but God meant it for good in order to bring it about, as it is this day, to save many people alive. Did you connect those dots? God takes the evil plan of man and He works it for good and His glory and the salvation of many people. I'll take it a step further and suggest that not only is God using all of this for people to get saved, and by the way, people are getting saved, make no mistake about it. And God is using this to get people saved. And He's also using this to miraculously provide for the saved in ways that you could have never imagined, let alone thought of, or even asked. We continue to receive many powerful testimonies of how God, as only He can, has worked out a situation that was just absolutely impossible. <laughs> I, I love it when God does that. He makes the situation so impossible, so He's the only one that can do it. Because wouldn't you agree when the situation is still possible for us, we'll try to do it ourselves? And when it's still possible for us, it's almost like it's impossible for God, because we're still trying to do it ourselves. And I just imagine God just waiting ever so patiently. He's so long-suffering with us. He just waits. And then we try, and we, we struggle, and we fight, and we kick, and we bite, and we scratch. And here's God just waiting. And we come to the end of ourselves, and we throw up our hands. God, I can't do it. Music to God's ears. I tried to tell you that, J.D., like three months ago, then two months ago, then last month, then last week, then yesterday, and then again today. And finally, here you are, and you are saying you can't do it. Can I do it now? Yes, God, here. I've made a complete and thorough mess out of this thing. In fact, I've made it worse. <laughs> now it's really impossible. And then God's like, okay, watch me now. The end of the world is going to happen, and it might be closer than we think. There's much happening in the world around us that ties into the predictions made in the Bible. With the number of events occurring, though, it can be difficult to keep up with it all. 
Pastor J.D. Farag has taken it upon himself to help us out with that. Each week, Pastor J.D. takes an in-depth look at what Scripture has to say about the end times and then pairs them with the current events of the week. These Mideast Prophecy Updates are available for free to you through our website, inspiritandtruthradio.com. You'll find them as well on our YouTube channel, and we update them each week to give you the latest information. These messages are useful to us to be able to keep Jesus' ultimate kingdom goal at the front of our minds. Jesus came to earth to offer love and forgiveness to each person. He completed his mission when he died on the cross for our sins and then defeated death by rising again. Jesus has charged each one of us who confess to follow him with a simple task. Go into the world and share the good news of his life. As the end draws even closer, we need to adopt a sense of urgency in getting the word out. We hope you will use these Mideast Bible prophecy updates to draw closer to Jesus, allowing Him to speak through you to the world around you. Once again, you'll find these prophecy updates by visiting InSpiritAndTruthRadio.com and clicking the link to our YouTube channel. Join us again for Truth from God's Word right here on In Spirit and Truth.